Welcome back to the Shema podcast. My friends, I have an episode in store for you, and the content was created by the questions I had that came up when I was speaking with several of you. Now, I love it when you guys reach out to me. I love having the conversations. Everyone has their own personal stories, and I find it all so inspiring. But one of the questions that came up, or actually two questions that seem to come up in the same conversation, in multiple conversations, and as I was relaying on what I knew, what I had learned, we recognized that there was inconsistency or that these two responses did not reconcile with one another. So here's how those conversations have gone. It starts off with Dan, I'm not keeping Shabbos. I'm not keeping kosher. I'm just starting to learn, you know, what does Hashem think of me? I'm not ready to just take all that on from the very beginning. I assure them no one is. Hashem doesn't expect us to take it on at once. But the way it was explained to me that I translated into financial speak in the mathematics of finance, the way I understood it was that Hashem is evaluating us based off our present value calculation. So present value calculation in the world of finance is if someone, for instance, a stock analyst is analyzing a company, they're looking at and projecting what they think their future dividends will be, what their future earnings will be, and they discount those back into the present and look, is the stock price higher than its present value or is it below the present value? If it's below, it's undervalued and that makes a stock a good purchase. Likewise, Hashem is evaluating us off where we're going to be. And he is outside of time, so he's not estimating where we're going to be like a stock analyst trying to estimate the variables that will influence the dividends and earnings in the future. He knows exactly the trajectory that we're on and where we'll be in the future. So what all that we need to be concerned about is making sure that every day we are on a trajectory for growth, that every day we're learning something new, every day we're doing something new. And if we're doing that and we're on that trajectory, then the present value of who we will become is something that Hashem will value very high as well. So that's one thing in understanding that. But the other thing that's come up is the conversations have always drifted over to concern into the distractions of the world around us, the politics, the craziness around the, the global countries, the, the rise in anti-Semitism, all these things. And it concerns a lot of people. So the first thing I tell them is, for one, I was a huge news junkie before I became religious. Politics was everything to me. But the only one I know of who was more of a fan of politics was or is the Yetzirah. He loves it. It's such a huge distraction, which is exactly what he wants us to be, distracted. But I tell them, look, in the end, everything happening in the world is being governed by Hashem. Nothing bad happens without his decree. And so in the end, he's allowing things to take place, allowing free will to be exercised. But in the end, he is controlling these things. And where we need to focus our battle is internally with our own Yetzirah. And then I go on to say that if someone 
some nefarious country like Iran were to launch a nuclear missile at Jerusalem, that's when the Almighty turns on the stage lights and says, time out. There's certain things he will not allow to happen. And I explained that's what the coming of Mashiach is all about, is a revelation of God, but not this time for the Jewish people, isolated around Mount Sinai, but for the world at large. And as we've talked about this concept, I explained my understanding is, is that when Hashem is revealing himself, all you know is truth. So those of us, like the guest I have coming on, who have forged themselves into a constant recognition that they are living in Hashem's world, that revelation will be like Gan Eden. And for those who have lived totally in denial that they are living in Hashem's world, that same revelation will be like Gehinnom. And it will be a totally different experience. As we talked about more, they said, well, that means that present value calculation falls apart because either we have forged ourselves into that recognition or we're not. And they say, Dan, you're already there. I have to explain to them, like, I'm not even close to being there. You know, when I'm reviewing my day, I think of things I said earlier in the day. And for me to have said those things is to not at all be in the recognition that I'm staying in the presence of the king. I will say a bracha over food, saying the words, but without consciously recognizing what I am doing. I've sat there and davened, and in the middle of you know Shimon Esrei, my mind's wandering to work. I mean, here I am with the opportunity to speak to the, the Almighty, and my mind is thinking about something else. I mean, with God's revelation, that would never happen. If, if you were knew you were in the presence of the Almighty, your mind would not wander in such a moment. I mean, no one has died and stood in front of the Almighty in the heavenly best inn. And as they're reviewing their life with them, and the heavenly best inn is, is asking about why they behave in such a manner, no one has ever said, oh, wait a second, can you say that over again? My mind was distracted. I was thinking about who's going to be in the Super Bowl. That does not happen. So I don't think I'm ready for that. I don't think I've forged myself into a vessel to recognize that because I drift sort of in and out throughout the day. So the other party typically says, oh, so we're we're both doomed. And I assure them that's not the case. I don't know the answer, but I'm going to bring on a rabbi that will answer it for us. But one thing to always keep in mind is what Hashem does not want us ever to do is get into a state of despair. That's the tactic of the Yetzirah. The tactic of the Yetzirah is it's not to get us to sin. Because if we sin, we do teshuva, we're better off than we were before. The strategy of the Yetzirah is to get us to sin and then make us feel so worthless that we don't want to do teshuva and drift further and further away from God as a result. So I brought on a rabbi, Rabbi Yacobian, who I've had on the show before. And he's someone that's become so dear to me and so important to me. You know, as my wife has been meeting with the base den, as she's gone through a conversion, I've been right there beside her. As the leader of the house, they had to make sure that I was worthy to be a fiduciary for her having a Jewish neshama. And Rabbi Yacobian was very tough on me at first. And early on, I was like, what, what's this guy's problem? But as I've begun to understand what he was doing for me, it made me think of the movie I saw when I was a kid, The Wizard of Oz. You know, Dorothy and her compadres, they go into the, the big castle where The Wizard of Oz is, and there's a big booming voice, 
and there's loud noises of thunder. They're shaking. They're so scared. And the little dog, Toto, comes over and pulls back the curtain. And the big, scary man was this little, sweet man behind the curtain. And then when I realized that Rabbi Jacobian was behind the curtain, he's this little, sweet, wonderful man, I realized that he cared enough about me to be stern and help me improve myself. So I gave him a hug, and I closed back the curtain, and I said, keep talking in that voice, because I need someone to be tough on me. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories, as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars, demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. So, Rabbi Yacobian, thank you so much for coming on and helping us to reconcile what seems to be a contradiction in what I've learned so far. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me back on. And thank you for those very kind words. It really means a lot. I appreciate it. And actually, what you just said about what I have tried to do for you is very much connected to the whole question of Mashiach. At the end of the day, what we try to do for people who convert, and the reason that I believe very much in the very tough, push-you-in-the-corner approach is because the real purpose is to make the person... Get the person there. Make them, not more than worthy, but make them ready. Make them, make them the vessel that is going to be used later on. If the vessel is not forged well, it will crack. And that's, that's actually the whole story of, of God's creation of all mankind is the same. What we sometimes forget, especially us who get into the details of Jewish law and the, the legalities which are the bread and butter, which are the meat and potatoes, the skeleton of the whole name of the game, but we forget sometimes the purpose of it all. And that is, God created Adam and Eve for them to be worthy of the good that he wants to give them. And the reason that he commanded them is so that they will attain that goodness on their own merit and not be given it for free where they will have bread of shame or whether when when they will not appreciate it or they will not be godlike which is independent to the nth degree that a human being can be independent so adam and eve are mashiach the whole story of mankind was not supposed to be 6000 years it was supposed to be 6 hours if adam and eve would not have eaten from the tree of knowledge which was their only test at the time And what that test was is a class in and of itself. It's a whole thing in and of itself. But if they wouldn't have, they would have transformed into the same type of being that Elijah transformed into. A being that doesn't need to go through the process of death, which is a novel idea after the sin. They would have automatically gone into what's called the world to come, the world of compensation, the world of reward, which is what Mashiach is supposed to do for us, get us prepared for that world. So the 6,000 years are just a stretching of those six hours. So Adam was Mashiach. In fact, in, in Adam, Aleph, Dalet, Mem, is the three individuals that are Mashiach throughout the 6,000 years. Aleph, Dalet, Mem. Aleph is Adam, Dalet is David, and Mem is Mashiach. All three are in the word Adam. So Adam started it. It didn't work out. David came along set the ground, set the stage 
for the next couple of thousand years, and then Mashiach will finish the job with Mashiach ben Yosef, with Moshe, but we'll explain. I want to reiterate that we all have to remember, and it was very important that you said there is never room for giving up, because every morning we say, I thank you, a king who is alive and existing, that you return the soul into me with compassion. Your faith is great. What does that mean, your faith is great? We're talking to God. God's faith is great? Yes. His faith in us is greater than what we sometimes trust or believe in ourselves. If he didn't believe in us, we would not exist. But he's always telling us, it's okay, you fell. That's not the end. Get up. Just get up. Fix it again. Take responsibility for your actions. Yes, you will have to learn a lesson. Yes, you will have to go through the motions. Yes, you will have to pay for what it is that you lacked in or didn't accomplish. But you could do it, and therefore you should do it. The greatest compliment you can give someone is telling him, I expect from you, which means you could do it. So God wants us and expects us and yearns for us to succeed to the point of completion. So that should always, that is in the background, always that is a fundamental uh, point of the creation of the universe. He's waiting for us to succeed. Okay. So much so that when time came that he saw that, uh, well, even from, since the beginning of time, he has put a mechanism inside all of creation in this whole 6,000 years that he will force us at the end of the day to succeed and he'll make sure that we do the job so that still at the end of the day it'll be we doing the job but he'll push us to do it. That is the era before the Messianic era. That is our time. Right, okay. Our time, which you see what's happening in the world right now which is like pretty much everyone is in agreement that this is the it was called Ikveta de Meshicha the heels of the Messiah where every value and every fundament and every notion that everyone has had forever is being questioned and challenged. Gender, boy, boy, girl. Like, I don't think Noah's time they had such a... But it's becoming so bad that it's the best thing possible. It's becoming so bad that people are waking up. And this is the beginning or already stage number two or three for the Messianic era. Um, God has... Uh, ordained that there will be an end to this job that we have here. The end is the year 6,000. By the year 6,000, the Messiah has already come. Armageddon has already happened. Both Messiahs have come, which I'll explain in a moment. The temple has been rebuilt. Israel has repented. The world is rectified. Everyone recognizes God's sovereignty. And more than that, everyone attains that level of perfection. Everyone, of course, that wants to and clings to it, attains that level of perfection, which is a level of perfection that we have not gotten to, even at the times of Adam and even the Garden of Eden, which they also had what to grow in. The Garden of Eden was not perfection. The Garden of Eden, there was a snake. The Garden of Eden, there was a tree of knowledge. There was the ability to sin. If we would not have eaten from the tree of knowledge, then we would have perfected the world ourselves. That we never did. When the Messiah comes, all he does is bring us back to first base, which is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Then again, we go through the motion of not eating from the tree of knowledge, and then we enter the world to come. Okay, so you just clarified something. I thought it was when Mashiach comes, it's like we're taking a test, and the teacher says, time out, 
test is over because we lose our free will. There's no more room for growth. No, definitely not. When Messiah comes, it's exactly, and we said it in our prayers, it's exactly like when Moses came to Egypt. We say in our prayers, in the repetition of the Musaf, in the Kiddushah, we say, I will redeem you. It's a quote from the prophets. At the end, the same way I redeemed you at the beginning. When Moses came, and Moses is the Redeemer, Moses is the Messiah. When Moses came, now don't get me into the questions of Ben David, Ben, there's, if you really want to get into the details of how, who actually does the act of redemption, uh, the Ramchal, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato, in Dat uh, Vunot, in Der Hashem, and the other books, speaks about the, 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 the triad of redemption, which is Mashiach, the son of Joseph, Mashiach, the son of David, and Moshe, and Moshe Rabbeinu with them. The three of them bring about this ultimate redemption. The real Messiah is the Messiah, son of David. We'll, if we get into the conceptual process, we'll explain why. Um, but uh, for all practical purposes, it's similar to the beginning. At the beginning, situation gets bad. Egypt. Moses comes. The Messiah reveals himself. And that will be the same thing. When Moses came and told us and told Pharaoh that the redemption has come, the situation became worse, way worse. So for those who understood that it is the Messiah and understood that this is the last pushing before the baby comes, they knew that the last pushing was going to be hard, but they were expecting it. So not only did, will they and did they not lose their faith, they were strengthened, they were happy, and they were scared at the same time. So that's the beginning. It comes, situation becomes worse. In our case, it will, will be something like the war of Armageddon. Mashiach ben Yosef comes. Mashiach, son of Joseph, comes. Because Joseph always has to come before Judah. If you look throughout history, all throughout history, the children of Rachel always come before the children of Leah come on the scene. For example, in the brothers by Jacob's children, Joseph is the king. But Judah is also the king. When Joseph gets off the scene, Judah becomes the leader. And even though Joseph is the king in Egypt, Jacob sends Judah to be the one to, to open the road or to open a house of study or to go to Goshen to set it up for preparation. Joseph is the heart. Judah is the intellect. Emotion and intellect. Okay. So the emotion has to come before the intellect. You have to emotionally be connected and want not just go through the motions of the prayer and the actions and this, that. Emotion also has to be there. Now, emotion without action is also worth nothing. The law has to be kept. The actions have to be done. There has to be a harmony between all the aspects of the human being. The ideology, the emotional state, the will, which is part of the emotion in a way, and the actions, the speech. It has to be a complete harmony of total commitment and dedication to the purpose for which God created which Joseph, they say, or Mashiach, son of Joseph, takes us out of exile, while David, or the son of David, takes the exile out of us. Okay, so King David was a descendant of Yehuda. Yes, he's from the tribe of Judah. In fact, one hears something like really, really nice, really cool. King David is number 14 from Abraham. The numerical value of David is 14, and and when we bless the moon, which will happen Saturday night, we say, David Melech Israel Chai Kayam. King David is alive and existing. Now, David's connection to the moon is the fact that every king is also the legislative branch. 
except for the kingdom of Israel. We're only the executive branch. We execute the laws of the Torah. So we are the moon. King David is the moon. He only takes the light of the sun and gives it over. The moon on the 15th is complete. Completion in Hebrew is Hebrew. is Shalem. King David's son, Solomon, is number 15 to Abraham. His time, quote-unquote, conceptually, the moon was complete. After the 15th of the month, the moon starts going down. And the kingdom of David started going down until there was no more moon. Wow. Yeah, that is a wow. That is amazing. That is a wow. So, at the beginning of the Messianic period, um, every good value breaks apart. We find this in the last Mishnah of the Tractate Sota. Very famous in all yeshivot, rabbinical schools, and many sermons. There's a Mishnah that says that there will be no more truth. People who reprimand will be despised. Um, everything will become uh, expensive. Um, a kingdom will become atheistic. There's a whole list of things that will happen right before Mashiach comes, which uh, there's no more family, children arise against their parents, there's no more respect, and uh, audacity is prevalent. We, we see the breakup of all values and morals, which is already happening in our society. And we, we're, we're just getting these high inflation reports. You said everything gets expensive? Everything gets expensive. Oh, wow. The words are, Hayoker Yamir. The expenses will go sky high. They will go up. Hagefen titen Wine, grapes will give their fruit. I mean, there will be a lot of wine, but the wine will be very expensive, which usually should be, it should, the more you have, the cheaper it is. Mm-hmm. But no, it becomes more and more expensive. It, it's worthwhile looking at it. It's the last Mishnah of Sota, Tractate Sota. When that happens... I, I just have to say, yeah, the big thing we're trying to figure out in the finance world is, is this inflation transitory or more of a longer trend? Either way, it's a good thing because if it's a longer trend, I know we're, we're on the track towards... Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'm skipping to something else completely. Okay. Yalkut Shimoni, which is a Midrash. Isaiah 60. Yalkut Shimoni, Isaiah 60, says... In the years right before Mashiach comes, the king of Iran and the king of the Arabs, which is most probably Saudi Arabia, will start a war against each other. And the king of Saudi Arabia, or the king of the Arabs, will seek counsel and assistance from the king of the West. And the king of the West will come with a lot of other kings from the West and help the king of the Arabs, at which time the king of Iran will seek assistance and counsel from a king of the Far East. China, North Korea, Russia, we don't know. It's a little bit vague, of course. And that will start the final uh, war before Mashiach comes. Now, it's not Nostradamus. It's not exactly clear-cut, but it does say the king of Iran. And it did specify who it is. So the Talmud is taking somewhat of a chance here. There's many countries in the world. But it specifically specified Iran which historically was one of the countries that was most benevolent to the Jews. At the end, they're the ones that kind of begin the last phase of human history, at least the facade that they are in control of themselves. Anyway, going back to the process, at some point when this goes down, Mashiach, uh, the ones who control Israel, will be the seed of the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt, the Erev Rav, especially in, this, in the land of Israel. That the Zohar says and the Midrash says, and that's happening. We see the type of government that we have in, uh, in Israel, whether it's now or even before. It hasn't been exactly the most um, 
helpful to Jewish values. Uh, nor is it now, it's even worse. Which is, like you said, also a good sign. That means we're coming closer to the birth, if you can call it that. Right. At some point, an individual comes to the sages of Israel, just like Moses did, and tells them, your memory has come before me, the time has come for the redemption to begin. Sages of Israel test him. He must be very scholarly, perfect in his characteristic traits. His reverence of God is to the ultimate. Love of Israel and the drive to rectify the world has no fear of anyone but the Creator. And when the sages of Israel agree that this individual is most probably, most probably, the Redeemer, because they will not know for sure, most probably the Redeemer, he and they will come out with a statement that the Redeemer has come. The Mashiach, the Goel, Goel is the Redeemer. Mashiach means the anointed one. So he's not anointed until actually he gets anointed. But the Redeemer has come. At some point before, during, after, Elijah the prophet comes onto the scene, whether it means physically or it means conceptually, most probably that process has already begun. The last prophecy of the Bible, of the book of Malachi, Malachi, is I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of God, and he will bring the hearts of fathers back to their children and the hearts of children back to their fathers, which commentators explain to mean that there will be a generation where the children will bring their parents back, and at the same time, some parents will bring their children back. And that's happening today, clearly. This is the first generation that Jews choose to come back. Until now, we have always just lived in the Jewish ghetto, in the Jewish community. We didn't really have a choice to get out. And we did get out. Most Jews, first time in Jewish history that most Jews are non-observant. And now by their own free choice coming back. It's the greatest generation to live in. It's the worst generation to live in. Tale of two cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And we're really living it. So Mashiach bin Yosef comes on the scene. The moment he comes on the scene, a battle ensues in Israel itself between those who are committed to the way of Hashem and those who are Jewish and are not committed to the way of Hashem. And in that battle, the final separation of who's in and who's out will pretty much happen. That battle spills over to the world in the War of Armageddon, which is really an ideological war, which has already begun in the United States. Is God in or is God out? Even God in, which God? God of Israel, God of Islam, God of Christianity. The, the, that ideological war has already begun. Right. And it's, it will manifest itself in a physical war as well. It's a sociological war, it's an economical war, and it's a physical war. During that war, which... The main part of the war says the Gaon of Vilna is nine minutes. When the Gaon of Vilna said nine minutes, it seemed crazy because the Gaon of Vilna lived around 300 years ago. Today, nine minutes is a long time. When that happens, then everything will pretty much be pointed at Israel, which is not so far-fetched to believe in watching how the UN conducts its business. And even some administrations of this fine country, have, uh, one would not be too surprised if they turned their back on Israel at some point. Right. And then when that happens, then God uh, comes on the scene. Mashiach ben David appears. 
Mashiach ben David appears, he and Mashiach ben Yosef show the way to the final battle, to you, for lack of a better word, and then everything that we went through in Egypt will happen again. All the miracles of Egypt will happen again. And in fact, there will be so many, so many more miracles that we read in the Passover Haggadah that what happened in Egypt will be child's play in comparison to what God will do at that final stage. So far, besides the war, nothing miraculous actually happens in the world. That means people get married, people die, people are born, business as usual, you have to eat, you have to sleep, everything is regular. And Shmuel says in the Talmud, there is no difference between the days of Mashiach and our days, except for Israel not being controlled by the world. And Maimonides, he brings it down in the laws of kings when it deals with the Messianic era. Once this whole period ends with the winning of the war in a miraculous fashion, Israel becomes recognized as the way that God has always chosen. And then all we do now is focus on no more politics, no more issues of, of focusing on distractions. The only single focus that Israel and those who are with us will think about is perfection of self, perfection of the nation, to the point where we metamorphose or transform into that being that enters the world to come. Gentiles and those who are the, of the seed of the mixed multitude, the heir of Rav, have a choice now when Mashiach ben Yosef comes on the scene as well, during the war of Armageddon, and even at the beginning of Mashiach ben David, where we win the war, to join or to fight. Now, the earlier one joins, then, of course, the more reward they have because the more they actually made the choice instead of just seeing it plain and clear that this is the truth. The later in the phases of the Messianic area we get, then the less of a true connection and a true oneness they will have with the world to come, God and Israel, which will be the medium of that rectification. They could still be connected, but the connection will be similar to the bark of the tree instead of the tree itself. Explain that. There is a concept of the righteous ones of the Gentiles, Hasidim Motaulam, or in Mr. You know, Tu Bishvat is coming up. It's actually a good thing to talk about. Tu Bishvat is coming up. Tu Bishvat is a holiday where we bring fruit and we eat them. We have a custom in our synagogue, and some others have this custom as well. It's a mystical custom to make the order of some of the fruits based on their peel. And I'll explain what I mean. In the Song of Songs, it talks about the peel of the walnut. There is no rectification of that peel. It has to be broken. Then you have the peel of the orange, which if you cook it, is actually edible. We make jam out of it. Then you have the peel of the cucumber, which is really a peel. It's somewhat bitter, but people eat the cucumber with the peel. Then you have the peel of the apple, which in some ways gives a taste to the apple, but it's still the peel. Then you have the strawberry or the blueberry, which it and the peel is almost the same, but it's still the peel. But then you have the fruit itself. Israel is the fruit. Always was since the time God chose Abraham and promised him he will never let us leave that. He'll force us back. The gift that God gave the Jews that are dealing with the Gentiles is hardships, is anti-Semitism. Is when God made the covenant with Abraham, the first time that he chose him in the covenant between the, the, the halves of the animals, 
Abraham falls asleep and he sees a great trepidation and, and fear. And God shows him the depth of, of purgatory or, and the exiles that his children are going to go through. Same thing with Jacob when now he has the dream of the ladder. He sees the angels going up and down, which is the angels of the different exiles that we're going to go into. So it's very nice. God chooses you and tells you you're going to go suffer. No. God chose you and said, the mechanism that I will create in order that you never lose yourself to yourself is hardship. I will never let you lose yourself to yourself. I will never let you fall in your own hands to the point where you bring yourself to oblivion morally, spiritually, characteristically. I will send the greatest leaders for the Jewish people, Hitler, Nebuchadnezzar, Haman, to always remind you, you are different and you are the chosen nation. They are also Messiah, the chosen ones, just on the other side. You haven't discussed, there's a Mashiach from Moshe, you said, I always understood too that his rectification was he is the one that converted the Ararav. And so because of that entanglement with those people he converted into the Jewish people who were not sincere converts, who created the, say, the golden calf and all those things, that that unraveling of that is one of his tasks. Yes, but don't forget that Moses is Moses. There must have been a good reason why he did that. A great reason, an awesome reason. And he wasn't wrong. The timing was off. What I mean is, if you think about it, you find the same concept in King Solomon. King Solomon, which was called by God, the friend of God, Yedidiah, and the, the prophets say that he sat on the throne of God, married Gentile women, converted them, married a lot of Gentile women. Samson, which when Jacob saw him, and he said to your salvation, I yearn, O God, Samson, which was called the Mashiach also, Jacob thought he was the Mashiach, married a Gentile Philistine woman two times. Like, what is the story of these people? The rectification that is on our shoulders, the responsibility that we, the Jewish nation, have is not only to rectify the Jewish people, it's to rectify the whole world, to bring everyone to that recognition, that understanding. The mixed multitude, Egypt had control over the whole world at that time. They were the world superpower, and they enslaved many nations we were on such a high spiritually that Moses said, okay, if I want to bring this to the ultimate rectification, to finish the job, let's bring the mixed multitude out. We will be able to influence them to attain perfection even from their low level. He wasn't wrong. The problem was that we, it's like, it's like you, you told me, after we finish the process, don't let me go. Still be tough with me. The reason is because you understand that there's a danger after you kind of get the carrot and you finish that you may go down. Right. The Jewish people had just come out of Egypt. We just saw the miracles. We were not set in that connection to God. We were connected on the highest level, but it happened so fast, so much in such little time. Then it took us 40 years to kind of attain that level. And then we were ready to go into Israel. It takes time to become one with the level that you have attained. Right. You may be up there, but you're, you have the danger of coming down. Staying up there is a challenge in and of itself, which is, again, the story of Adam and Eve. 6,000 Jews were trying to get back there and stay there. So Moses wanted to rectify everything. We could get there. We could make it. And it turned upside down. And instead of rectifying, it brought damage. King Solomon did the exact same thing. He tried to rectify the whole world by marrying the daughters of the different kings, which are the, the capsulization or the microcosm of the whole nation. 
and rectify them is rectifying the nation because spiritually, mystically, they hold the soul of the whole nation. But instead of being able to rectify it, they mess the nation up. And this is, this is the, the, the reason why they did what they did. So our job is to do the same thing, to bring the whole world to rectification. And the whole concept of converts is that concept. And you have in conversion, you have two, three types of converts. One type of convert is souls of Israel that were just lost. Second type of converts is souls of other nations that said yes at the Mount Sinai. At least their soul, their root soul said yes, even though their nation said no to the Torah. And they're coming back and they will become one with the Jewish people. Third type is, like I said, the bark of the tree, the mixed multitude, the heir of Rav. And the fourth type is those who are not going to be part of the nation, but at least support the chosen nation of God in its endeavors. That also has an aspect of rectification. And then you have those that just want to go against. And at the end of day, uh, whenever the great awesome day of, of filtration happens... And you find it also in the last prophecy in Malachi, speaks about that day. On that day, it will become clear who's who. Self-manipulation will be gone. And that's a big, big hard task. The self-manipulation is maybe one of the biggest challenges that society, individually and as a society, we have. What do you mean by self-manipulation? Giving oneself the sense that I am good when deep down, and every person knows how deep, I am not at the level that I should be at, or I'm not doing what it is my responsibility, or I am giving intellectual reasons why I don't want to go research the truth. And, you know, we don't believe in faith. We believe in, in logical discussion and coming to a conclusion that, yes, this makes sense that most probably this is the truth. But at least argue. Come and argue. Come and talk. Come and, come and discuss it. Whether you believe in the scriptures and discuss it from the scriptures, or you just understand that there must be a God and there must be a way. But at least come and try to find out and argue about it rationally. We are not afraid of arguments. We, debates is a different story in front of people. We never like debates in front of people because mo- we do them, but people... Don't think. Debates you can't really discuss too much. In debates, people are just trying to win over the crowd, usually with smart lines and things that make the people laugh. Right. But anyway, that's a different story. Right. They're, pers- they're pursuing being right versus pursuing truth. Yeah, exactly. Well put. So the resurrection of the dead happens at the stage of Mashiach ben David. At that stage, once Mashiach ben David fin- helps with the war, finishing of the war... At that point, the resurrection of the dead happens. We're starting off with the forefathers, Rachel, Mashiach ben Yosef himself, which according to some dies in the war, and then uh, Moses, Aaron, and the whole generation of the desert come back in. And once the resurrection happens, everyone, everyone, everybody gets resurrected. And righteous, wicked, everyone gets resurrected just to see the truth. Those who are not worthy go back to dust, for lack of a better word, for eternity. Some of them going back again to purgatory because they haven't finished what they need to finish for all the wrongs that they did. And then everyone else transforms back into a human form because it's not the soul that did the mitzvot. It's not the body that did the mitzvot. It's the soul and the body together that did the mitzvot. And together they enter the world to come just like in the beginning Adam and Eve were supposed to do so before eating of the tree of knowledge. So it was, it was my understanding that 
that takes place over the seventh millennium. Not according to Ramchal, and not according to most people who follow Kabbalah. Okay. Maimonides writes that all these events, we really don't know how they will happen until they happen. They are not the fundamentals of our faith, and therefore they're not as crucial as, as other aspects of uh, Jewish thought. But the, pra- the accepted way of looking at it, today pretty much by 99% of all scholars and all those who have the tradition, and specifically use the word tradition because it's been passed down to us, is the Ramchal. The Ramchal, which is based on the Ramban, which is based on Rav Sadia Gaon, which is going back over the 1,400 years. Right, okay, amazing. And it's not at that point in time that, the, where does the era fit in where we, because the B'nai Noachs have a place, the righteous Gentiles. Sure. Because we are the light into the nation. We become the nation of priests mm-hmm. to the rest of the world, correct? B'nai Noach is what's called the righteous of the Gentiles. But you can't expect to have a similar level of connection or a similar level of reward as someone who has taken upon himself the responsibility of 613 commandments plus all the hardships that we as Jews have gone through and need to go through to someone who accepts the seven Noahide laws as great as that itself is. And it definitely has a place in the world to come. But secondary to those who have been chosen or accepted upon themselves the responsibility of the totality of rectification of the world, which is people who take upon themselves to our mitzvot. The two can't be compared. Amazing. So I appreciate you clarifying all that. It also sounds like, you know, when Meshach and Yosef or, and, and comes, that it's not an end game. There, there is still room for growth. Yes. So a, a Jew who had not started picking up mitzvot, who have not at this point recognize the truth of Torah, there's still opportunity for them. At Absolutely. That point. Oh, but I do want to say, ones who want to be blind or stay blind, even when Mashiach ben Yosef comes, they're blind. You, one has to be blind. I mean, really blind, not to see what's happening today. You go back in Jewish history, only 80 years. And you think of Jews 80 years ago and what's happening to Israel in the last 80 years, and how everything that the Torah said about us coming back to the land of Israel, about the land of Israel giving its fruit. The Talmud says that when you see the fruits of Israel answering back, giving of themselves to the nation of Israel, know that the end is near. That has not happened in 2,000 years. This is the, and it's happening now. It's happened in the last 80 years, 70 years since, the, since Israel became a state, and even before. Israel is succeeding in, in ways unfathomable, unimaginable that a nation should be able to succeed like this. With Israelis living on it. It, it shouldn't work. And it's working. <laughs> yeah. God, the divine presence, is back in Israel. The, the era has started. And if someone reads Deuteronomy, Devarim, you read the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and you read the, the, their descriptions of what will happen when Israel will come back? The Haftarah and Rosh Hashanah, I get very emotional every time I read it about what will happen to the nation of Israel when they come back from the different countries, from one area with tears and with sadness, from another area with joy and dancing, from the countries of the Holocaust, from the countries of the, of, of the East. And we come back to, to our land. Jews are coming back 
to observance of their own free choice. Hashem has given us spirit and our heart to return. The numbers were back to the numbers pre-Holocaust of, of Jews and we're already past it. What? You don't see? No, no one is being spoken about more than Jews in the world. The UN has more discussions and resolutions against Israel than any other resolution about any other topic, which is a, all publicity is publicity. This is a megaphone for God. What else is left to see to kind of say, oh my God, it's happening. If you, if you are a person of scripture, if you are someone who reads the prophets, if you are someone that reads the Siddur in the morning, which goes through these verses, and you see what's happening in Israel. I remember Israel, and I'm 46, but I remember when I was a kid in Israel, when I was eight years old, there were areas, nothing, sand. I used to go back regularly. And to see suddenly in one year you come, you see hills, nothing. You come back in two years and you see the places packed. You see the prophet, the, the, the words of Isaiah that says the day will come when old men and women will sit in the streets of Jerusalem and kids will be playing in the streets. You see it in front of your eyes. The song, oh, it will be heard in the, in the mountains of Judea. And the outskirts of Jerusalem, the sound of joy and the sound of happiness, sound of the bride and the groom. You can't get a hall in Israel without a year's notice before. There's, everyone's getting married. My wife was a doula in Jerusalem in one shift in one hospital. What was it? She told me 24 or 32 kids. In a in, in 24-hour period, you have like 50 kids being born in one hospital. It, it's, it's, you, one has to be blind not to see that this era has already begun. So open your eyes, jump on the bandwagon, recognize who it's good to be with, and push yourself with, with excitement to what's going on around us. I mean, talking to you, talking to your wife, talking to my, my synagogue I, 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 every week, the number of people that I want to convert. And we tell them no. Most of them we say no. It, 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 it's, there's no words. There's actually, I'm, there's no words to say how exciting, how unbelievable, how amazing, how scary, how awesome, scary in a good way, how awesome of a time we live in. Rabbi, I'm speechless. Good. That was amazing. And my listeners, dear listeners, to me, like this is the ultimate episode to share with your Jewish friend that has not sort of woken up and begun to see what's in the Torah and reclaim their right and their the privilege of being and living as a Jew. I mean, to me, this is the ultimate episode to, to share with those people because I know you're blown away. I'm absolutely blown away. Rabbi, that was incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us. My honor. Thank you for the opportunity. Amazing. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking Donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.